0: This is the Instant Speed Podcast, episode number 49. Our guest today is the reigning USA national champion, Tarek Patel. But before we get to that, let's talk about Kayfabe Cards. The episode is always brought to you by Kayfabe Cards. If you go to Kayfabe Cards, it is the place if you want some flesh and blood swag and get all your trading card needs done at Kayfabe Cards. If you magic, Pokemon, all kinds, but it is the place to go for Flesh and Blood cards. Get all the tools you need to navigate the world of Wraith shipped right to your door. www.kfabecards.com. Yes, www.k-a-y-f-a-b-e-c-a-r-d-s.com. Go check him out. Again, our guest today is gonna to be Tarek Patel. Before that, let's hit the facts. That being that, hey, a bunch of national champions have just been crowned in Vietnam. That is Quang Dong on Dorinthia. Adrian Fjell from Norway on dromai out of hungary that would be ax uh, Demonkos on briar in austria long Dao uh has won briar with briar sorry in austria out in slovenia jan ban uh, on oldham mohammed el uh, fardy in france also on oldham nitya Kalishelvan on uh rhinar out in the savage lands the brute queen herself out in malaysia winning Nationals there, and of course, friend of the show, Nick Butcher, winning on Oldham Mountain Australia. Uh, But there's other competitions around the corner as well. If you're not necessarily into the Nationals field, how about the upcoming Battle Hardens? Uh, Dallas-Fort Worth will be going on the weekend of the 7th through 9th of October. Out in Columbus, what was originally the Fall Brawl has been upgraded to a battle-hardened uh, Realm Gaming, putting this one out on. I will be there in Columbus participating because there's going to be a lot of cool stuff, including a VIP speakeasy after party, an alpha draft that you can win and get in on. So check them out at realmgaming, uh, dot, uh, realmgamingnetwork.com. Go check out the Fall Brawl, which is now a battle-hardened out in Columbus. I'll be there. So that's going to be a lot of fun. Finally philadelphia 11th to 13th of november that weekend a battle hardened as well lots of competition if you didn't quite qualify for nationals but i will be out there in charlotte for the usa nats i'll be competing in the canadian nats this coming weekend as well lots going on in flesh and blood and lots to talk about and who better than the prodigal son himself tark patel who won usa nationals now is back in his home country of canada ready to potentially win canadian nationals be a Hold both belts, as it were. We talked to Tark Patel, let's get right into it. Instant Speed is proudly supported by BCW Supplies. If you need protection for your cards, be it sleeves, deck boxes, storage, organizational tools, or hey, are you a comic book collector, a coin collector, BCW Supplies has your hookup. Use the code ISP10, get 10% off all of your orders. Go to bcwsupplies.com, BCW, protect, store, display. This is the Instant Speed Podcast. Uh we are welcoming back our good friend Tark Patel. Now Tark is the reigning USA champion, national champion, who uh the prodigal son has returned to the true north. And you will be (laughs) you will be competing in the Canadian national championship. So you actually have you have a chance here Tarek to be a like a double belt holder. Like you'll have the WCW title and like the raw championship or the you know the world heavyweight championship so you know that, that's that's got to be a pretty big deal
1: yeah, and it's only for one week, so I'll relish that title if I get it. But there's a ton of good players in Canada. I actually think the field, even though it's like less number of rounds and maybe less players overall, just the density of how good the quality of player there is makes me a little more worried to play the Canadian Nationals. So, you know, I'm ready to relinquish my title. Uh, you know, I'm going to need a pretty good run of variance to continue it. Uh, so I have made my peace with it at, at this point, and I'm just going to go and have fun, enjoy Ottawa, and enjoy the beautiful canadian fall weather
0: well it's getting nice out there actually i had to walk back from the uh, the train station all the way and i was worried because i saw like the the leaves starting to change was like "Uh uh-oh i didn't bring a sweater or anything no it's like perfect i think like canada or like toronto in september is like ideal it's just the kids are back in school you don't have to worry about like nothing's crowded during the day me and my you know I, I don't I wouldn't call it unemployed, but like I don't do anything through the day. so like just walking in the streets is great. I don't have to wait in line for like an ice cream. It's amazing. Wait
1: when, when you see the kids, does it really remind you how old you really are? I can't speak for you, but for me when I see the kids getting on the bus, I'm like that was just me a couple of years ago and then I remember high school was like over a decade and a half ago and I'm like, Jesus Christ, where, where did the time go? If that that well if I was asked recently, like and i'm talking about this
0: week somebody asked me hey if if we asked you would you host our high school reunion and i'm like is it 10 years already they're like dude it's 20 years it's like holy <laughs> crap so the the wheels are turning on me like emceeing the the high school reunion for 20 freaking years but like just on this note you're absolutely right like Driving around when I used to, like, drive to the office, like, when I had an office job a few years ago, like, just driving through the streets of Mississauga and seeing the school bus pick up kids, and in my mind, I was like, I was on that, and, are like, things have changed where your parents would literally just be like, all right, see you at, like, leave the house at 7, and then see you whenever I see you, like, there's, that's it, who knows what happens to you for, you know, nine hours in a day or whatever, it's just, it's a whole different, it's a whole different world, but yes, I feel exceptionally old. But not because of school buses, but because of 20-year high school anniversaries.
1: Sometimes it feels like just yesterday and other times when I look back at it, because high school is when I really started playing card games, right? So, And that feels like a lifetime ago. So in some aspects, it does feel like it's just a different person. I don't know how it would feel if I went to a high school reunion, seeing people I haven't even thought about for freaking like 20 years already. So I don't know. Are you going to do it? Are you going to host
0: it? I would do it if they asked me. I just told them. Uh, the person Because usually how this goes is you if you agree to something, they they take it as they you're agreeing to helping in the entire organizational process so what I said was I said absolutely but that's all I'm doing and I and just let me know when I have to show up like that's it I just so I don't want any of the organizational stuff but literally for me and a lot of my nerdy buddies who are successful and and you know whatever but like I was a nerd in high school like people mm-hmm. I was in that category of super nerdy so I would never get invited to to parties and or or any of that stuff but I was like charismatic and funny enough that people wouldn't pick on me. So I was in that kind of like that that neutral zone, that Venn diagram where that little that 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 sort of overlapping space said don't bully him and I was like Woo! But I wasn't invited anywhere. Like no, I would. Nobody wanted to be seen with me. But they're like, yeah, but he's kind of funny, and like we like him. So I, I was safe. It was. It was kind of like being in that in front of the T Rex's vision, where he can't see you. You're in his blind spot. That's where I was in high school. <laughs> <laughs> I know. Yeah, that that might have been a. Uh... <laughs> Okay, we're a little off the rails. Nice here. Little tangent, yeah. <laughs> we're we're good though, nonetheless. All right. Long story short, we're old, but um. So before we get to to your prep and and all that, I mean, you're still on Team Dragon Shield, and a lot of people actually. One of the questions that we got from Twitter was, will there be more Team Dragon Shield uh, players? You know, will that will that team expand? But you guys started off pretty
1: strong because Nick Butcher won Australian Nationals. Yes, sir. To answer your first question, I can't reveal the details just yet, but I do think we're gonna have uh, a new member joining Dragon Shield pretty soon. So you hear heard it here first. Stay tuned on that. Uh, just trying to get Matt to work out the details, um, and once that's done, then then we'll probably announce it. Uh, and yeah, so you know, Nick came out really strong. He had only about a week and a half, two weeks from when we got back from the PT in Lille. So a lot of his deck choices and ideas were kind of theory crafted uh, rather than hard tested ideas. So it's going to be interesting to see how the metagame kind of shakes out. I think at his nationals, there was something ridiculous like 20 Viserai, which I don't think anybody expected, right? I think it was the most prevalent deck at their nationals. And even it was even more prevalent than Briar, which I think only took like five or six slots. And then Old Him, I think there was only four other Old in the room. And that was pretty contrary to what we thought because a lot of our theory and talk, beforehand were like dedicated to okay how do you get an edge in the old emir if that's gonna be a popular deck how do you beat dromai if you know dromai rises up and takes the place of uh, uh prism which recently living legend and as we're seeing now it's happening uh but that just didn't end up happening and i think nick um just had a superior deck for the field he played really well obviously uh did really well in draft and you know the rest is history he is now the Newest and reigning uh, Australian national champion dethroning uh, one Hayden Dale. That that's an interview I wish I could have done. Absolutely, <laughs> I honest to God,
0: I'm not even kidding you here. I wanted to ask Nick to be on like the stack or one of those types of episodes, and, and or even even to get him just solo on ISP. And it's funny because we kind of like had this mini bonding session in France where we were chatting and we just were we were just citing episodes of Curb Your Enthusiasm like that's where we are both like big time fans so uh yeah. I was I'm like maybe I can kind of parlay this little bonding session into a one-on-one with Nick Butcher but uh it, it's funny because his kayfabe of his character is pretty sweet like he kind of he's like I'm not that kind of guy he's <laughs> like I'm like that, I'm that guy for the camera but I'm really not that kind of guy I'm like don't tell anybody I'm like dude everybody
1: <laughs> loves this kind of character it's awesome I don't know if you ended up seeing his interview but he actually ended up shouting Queen Elizabeth as his inspiration for his win <laughs> 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 oh man,
0: yeah, there's a little bit of uh yeah, I don't want to say controversy. I mean, look, I'm <laughs> I'm not a fan of the monarchy. I'm not this is not my thing. I I you know, I I don't wish death on anybody. I just this is this is just a concept that I'm not I'm not you know, I don't understand like I just like monarchy and that kind of thing, but you know, the fact that the that Nick Butcher may be responsible for her, she was going to make 100, Nick. Like what did you do? <laughs> like you <yeah, it's> no- <laughs> actually
1: well, you know, it's a funny uh, little sound bit. So I'm going to try clip it and I'll send it around because I think he says uh, I'm doing this for my girl Liz. I think we're the exact words he used. <laughs> so, <laughs> OK, if you have that, I
0: will absolutely uh, throw it into the in here. This is those are some the best ones just for context. Uh, if not, just picture Nick Butcher's voice uh, saying I'm doing this for Liz. <laughs> but um, yeah, the other thing is like, you know, UK Nats just got delayed or mm-hmm. or, or yeah. postponed and three days notice uh, that that in itself is the whole thing i feel bad for the people who you know travel is one thing um mm-hmm. it's a big country you got to get there but ultimately what does this do for let's say for you and and somebody who's mm-hmm. really a major threat to win this how does this throw off your entire planning process or such or do you just take it in stride to a degree try not to let it influence you and just say all right well i get an extra two weeks of practice
1: yeah, as, uh, it's tough as a UK player, cause, and it's tough for LSS too, because I woke up today and I saw a lot of really angry uh, players from UK and, and, and so forth and them talking about it. But as a third-party kind of observer, and I, I don't have any skin in the game either way, right? It's after my Nationals, the information doesn't matter, and I'm not playing in it, and I'm not LSS. But uh, I remember when the Queen first passed, there was a lot of people that kind of raised concerns being like, her funeral is going to be like around the time of UK nationals. Now I don't know the specifics, but the when I first started reading about it, it was like, "Oh, can we postpone it?" Like I saw that kind of tweet from not just one or two people, but from a good number of players being like, "Oh, this is going to like mess up the city, public transport's going to be a nightmare. You know, can we just postpone it?" So it you know, I don't envy the spot LSS is in because they they got a bunch of people saying, "Hey, on this side it's going to be chaotic. Can we postpone it?" And then they go ahead and do that. And now it's like maybe the louder majority are now like going, what the heck? Like you should have said, you know, screw the the vocal minority and, and you know, leave the date where it was. And from what I understand now, it's also scheduled during a marathon. So, you know, I think it's a rock in a hard place. And if they kept it on the date, you, we would be hearing like, oh my gosh, like the Queens thing is, is messing everything up. And if they move it, now we're getting the consequences of that. And uh, I think they were in a lose-lose scenario from a, a company point of view and, you You know, just thank God I'm not in logistics and and tournament organizing because I don't know what I would do in this situation if I was them.
0: Oh, no, big time. Like uh, just – I was – back when I was doing like major Gwent tournaments, there was one where we – everybody used to fly to Warsaw because the studios were there in Warsaw for the major tournaments. I was – literally the my suitcase was at the door i was just on like like answering a few last minute emails because i was literally 30 minutes away from grabbing an uber and going to the airport i got a frantic message and this was like two years ago they're like yeah everything's canceled we're, we're just waiting for uh COVID to sort of wrap up and, yeah. and and we'll go so they're like we're probably going to postpone it for like two months and then we'll we'll revisit and obviously, like, two or three years later, and it never <laughs> never happened. But, like, I can understand just the, the absolute psychotic nightmare because there was there were a lot of people who were like, why are you postponing this? But mm-hmm. obviously, COVID and, like, the death of a queen and, and, like, a reigning monarch, like, again, as a Canadian, I have absolutely yeah. no understanding of why a monarchy exists and, and such. Like, is it tradition? It's whatever. I get it. But uh, like you mentioned, the, the most vocal you know the most vocal critics of this are the ones who people are going to be reading because those who are like yeah it's a good idea are not going to go out there and sort of herald it right. from the mountains ultimately yeah regrettable on everybody's side like it sucks and mm-hmm. but it's surrounding a you know the and it's not exactly ideal circumstances for anybody nope. either way um let's talk real quick uh, about you know prep for Canadian nationals here and mm-hmm. we looked we looked at you know The first week, like for instance, when you're moving up for Pro Tour, everybody's eyes were kind of on the calling Singapore as Mm -hmm. a barometer and and a nice little litmus test for what the meta is going to look like, what to prepare for. But I think that what we've learned from not just week to week, but even, you know, weekend to weekend, location to location, that metas are very regional. And how much are you studying the results of, let's say, weekend one of nationals where we had, you know, a handful of them already take place? Well, how does that influence your prep and
1: how much of those results are reliable? Uh, I think a good amount of them are reliable. I think the players that end up doing well over the course of event, yes, they have some good variants, but by and large, they put in a lot of preparation and they have good reasons and rationale to, to do the things they do, right? They still had to win eight or nine rounds in order to become national champion or top eight or whatever the case may be. So there is definitely a good amount of validity in the deck list especially once the sample size gets a lot larger like it is when we have multiple data sets from different nationals to kind of take from so in terms of my prep um you know we've talked about this internally i don't mind saying it here i've been on kind of three decks that i've been considering maybe four ever since the pro tour finished that i was considering after i saw prism rotate and that would be Briar, Old Him, Dromai, and Dash are are the four decks that I was strongly considering. Because at at the end of the day, we didn't get a new set between Pro Tour, Lil, and when Canadian Nationals will be. So the core of every deck remains roughly the same. But what's kind of changed is how the decks have interacted with each other. Because Prism was around, it meant decks like Old Him, even though they did exist, they were much less prevalent. Because a vast majority of people wanted to take a lot less risk in their matchup lotteries now that that's not the case we have you know old him as the week one deck i think it won the most number of nationals over the last couple weeks um kind of rise up and and that was to be expected and the big question on everybody's head is is how does dromai do into old him right now and Spoiler alert, it's it's pretty good until old. so, you know, it's still a very open metagame, I'd say off the top of my head, what the results do doesn't kind of skew my preparation too much It's more of like an interesting data point being like, okay, Dromai pretty good this week, you know, will aggro be the play? Uh, I still have Briar and Dash in my back pocket. Is it time to break those out, or do I kind of just stick with my preparation and go with uh, one of either Jomai or Oldham, which are my two front runners going forward?
0: Yeah, that's the, the the question here is, you know, like I think that once the sample size obviously gets bigger, but, you know, if you're preparing for a tournament that's this coming weekend, you don't necessarily have the luxury of letting that gestate and, and expand. But I, I feel like there's a certain situation where, like you said, like from week to week, it, things can change. And if Oldham was the star of the first week, which it was, you know, I I think that looking at numbers in that regard of how many are appearing, like you said, you know, there was 20 viscerized in Australia and that seemed a little bit high. Mm -hmm. I think that, you know, you still, like you said, you still have to go through the gauntlet. You still have to perform well in Swiss. Looking at numbers of heroes, I think, is maybe not the right way to do it. But looking at the deck lists of the heroes that have succeeded might be just giving yourself at least an opportunity to understand, is it a slower meta? Is it a faster meta? Like Oldham can play two ways. Like Oldham can smash you yep. in the dick and and or just stand pat and and close the door. But when it comes to uh, moving to you know moving forward with with Canadian nationals, there's only so many reps you can you can put in. And mm-hmm. how how early on, like how how late up against the the line are you kind of making your decision for a deck? Like I feel like if I'm not settled on one hero. A week before or two weeks before, then I'm I'm kind of just making it harder for myself.
1: Yeah, you know what's funny is we were joking about that because um, Dokes and I were actually talking about quote unquote audibling to to a different deck. And he's like, we have to define what an audible is. Because if we switch decks a week out, it's not an audible. Like, it has to be, like, 24 hours before to call it a true audible. But in my head, it's like, if I'm moving to a deck I'm less experienced with, with, like, five days' notice, heck, yeah, that's an audible in my brain. <laughs> like, But to him, it's like, that's not a true audible. You have five whole days to jam, like, 30 games. Like, that's not an audible. So I don't know. I don't know how fast it has to be to be considered a, a last-minute change. But uh, I'm on the fence right now.
0: <laughs> uh, so, well, that's it. Like, in somebody, everybody's idea of an audible is different and like for someone for instance like dale and mac dale and mac will will be on the car ride to the venue or in the uber or whatever and just be like man i don't know what i'm gonna play i'm like what are you kidding me like dude it's like it's day one of the calling he's like yeah i just brought a few decks printed out the deck list, i'll figure it out like okay like good luck my friend but for others i like if i didn't you know decide to play what i'm playing and it's no secret i'm playing oldham and i've been playing it on talishar for you know a week now but mm-hmm. the the lists has evolved uh, you know through discussion through practice through whatever but i i just feel like if i was not settled on that it would have been a, an absolute absolute nightmare like where is your comfort zone like you said five days before is like
1: late yeah i i have a rule for myself and i actually posted this on twitter when i was talking to uh Um, Sasha, actually, he asked me the same question and I've had some disaster audibles in the past and I make it a hard and fast rule that I do not change my decks for whatever reason, 24 hours in advance. The only exception of changing within 48 hours is if I have like a ton of experience with the deck, like way beforehand. So like, if I'm like intimately familiar with the ins and outs and it's like kind of a toss up and I get a really good reason to play one deck over the other, then I'll change. But usually 48 hours is kind of my window. And I don't mess with it because the biggest lesson and I'm still learning this, unfortunately, is that players like the metagame is not rational, right? Just like the economy is not rational. People play what they want to play. People play what they know how to play. And that is the biggest trap I think higher level players still fall into. Like I I say this story a lot, but in Pro Tour 1, I think our biggest mistake as a team, I'm talking Team Dragon Shield here, was erroneously under thinking how representative Prism would be in that in that metagame. Because in our testing, Prism was like unwinnable against chain. And at best, at absolute best, was just a coin flip versus Starvo. Like we even got to a point where we got it where it's like maybe even 55 you know, 45 or 60-40 in terms of Star Wars favor. So in our heads, we're like, if anybody tests this, like why would they ever play Prism? Like what matchup are they hoping to hit? And then, of course, it's going to be like a massive representation when it actually ended up playing at the Pro Tours. So, you know, people need to realize that, you know, other people are going to play what they're comfortable with. If you have a lot of reps in something, even if an audible looks like it, it might give you a slight, slight, like a bit more of an edge, it's usually not worth all the downside for the lack of practice. So there's
0: that no that, that's a good point point. and i usually when people ask me for suggestions first of all i tell them I'm like i'm i'm not a competitive player like i i can't really give the best advice in terms of that kind of stuff but what i do say is i'm like look from when it comes down to it familiarity and muscle memory and just comfortability with the deck is oftentimes uh a good like that is what it does for your mentality and what it does for your confidence is good enough you know calling a, a last second you know, shift to, in the defense, so to speak, to just be like, well, I see this, so I'm going to bring this. It kind of, you know, it, very rarely, you got to be really good and you get to be really familiar. If it's a deck, like you said, that you've played a thousand reps with already and you're just making a last second call to go back to Old Faithful, like that feels all right. Mm-hmm. But I, I've always told people that, just knowing the deck, know your deck inside out, is enough of an advantage over a you know picking up a better deck. If it's just about the cards in the deck, then it's a you know, you're you're not going to have the same top eights all the time. Yeah. Um, when it comes to prep for these things, this is one thing that I've, I at last last year's Canadian Nationals, uh, I was playing your your uh, Briar list, and I was thinking about again. Not being too cute with it, but just being like, okay, like let's change one card for this, or like you know, make a few calls here, this and that. Ultimately, the stupid thing I did was I showed up, uh, and all the cards that I sided out because I was not sure of, I was like, okay, here, I have here's like the sixty cards, here's like the twenty cards or whatever. I had like a pile of thirty of them, and I'm like, I'll decide when I get there which ones <laughs> I'm gonna play. I forgot those cards, so I literally brought the sixty and the equipment, and as I was registering the deck and writing things down, I realized that I was like, I think I was like ten cards short. And I didn't know what the hell to do. So I literally just went to whoever was just opening packs of Everfest. And I said, just give me give me anything. I don't care. Like, it's not going in the deck anyways. <laughs> Have you ever made an idiot mistake like that or, like, showed up, like, missing something? Like, what's your story of, like, your, your biggest sort of game day bonehead mistake?
1: Actually, there was a recent one at a RTN. And it was kind of stressful because I only got to play two RTNs. Uh, or three RTNs, maybe like two weekends, and one was on one weekend, two were on the other. But uh, I usually don't make like deckless error because I'm like extremely OCD. So I'll like double check everything the night before, then double check in the morning, and then double check at the venue. But this was like a limited event. So we were sitting down for top eight draft, and I think they just changed it, right? RTNs were used to be casual, now they were competitive REL. Yeah. Um, so we were sitting there, and the draft finished, and it was like, okay, cool, now everybody build your deck. And I was trying to like, b- but, but the way they did it, cause they didn't want to do like deck registration for time purposes. And they didn't want people to like get up and walk because it was the top eight. So they made us build our decks like in front of each other. So like the whole sleeving process was all like face down. So I was sleeving up my drill, my deck, and I was kind of just like, like, trying to keep it face down, like trying not to reveal what I was on or what cards I had. And I accidentally put like a red ninja card in instead of like, I think it was like a red (laughs) flex or like, like it was like a red ninja instead of like a red leg tap instead of a red flex, which is obviously just way better to be a red flex. And uh, I ended up getting paired against my buddy in top eight uh, and RTNs. All that matters is top four. And he was on Icelander, I was on Dromai, and he was dead to rights. Like, I'm talking, he was at, like, one life, I was at, like, eight, he had no arsenal as Icelander, right? It passes back to me, I have, like, three ash wings, and I draw the freaking leg tap. And this is, like, the last turn of the game, too. Oh, no. And the judge, like, is standing right behind me, and, like, I immediately, like, put up my hand, and he's like, yeah, yeah I, I saw it. I'm like, okay, what's the fix? He's like, you know, unfortunately, if this is casual, we just like da da da. But in competitive REL, you know, it's a game loss or whatever. So like, I just lost the game, and it was like one of my three RTNs that I was doing, and I was like, shit, I might lose like a PTI over this because I would have to use a PTI then to go to nationals again. And then the kicker to the story is that afterwards I ended up looking it up because I'm like, game loss seems pretty harsh for that. And it wasn't even a game loss. Like the the actual fix, even in competitive REL, is like you just take it out of the deck, or like as long as they deem it non-intentional or whatever, you take it out of the deck, and then I, I can't remember if you replace it or you just lose it for the game, and then that's it. Like you get a warning, and, and that's it. So I ended up getting like a game loss on a one board state in the top four or top eight of an yet i was like huh yeah your okay
0: your stakes are pretty high there my first game in that nationals where i completely just filled up my deck was against dave rude and i had no <laughs> idea who dave rude was like legit i was literally this is my first time sort of stepping my toe into like a competitive scene or whatnot like i qualified off of xp and like i was never really you know uh uh worried about that but then i go up there and i'm like dave rude i'm like hey expo's hat i'm like this is my homie like let's talk and then later on when i told people who i lost to they're like dude that's dave rude like that's it's <laughs> a, a big deal i was like okay whatever like i he's a good guy he's a nice guy um <laughs> the uh the the canadian nationals like i'm gonna be there last year's you were not at um mm-hmm. i <laughs> i'm i'm not very I don't want to say excited. I'm absolutely excited about Canadian Nationals, but it has nothing to do about like the event itself. Um you know, like there's there's chatter about this regarding, you know, I think people saying like, "Oh my god, I wish I went to like one of these nationals where there was like eight people playing, like easy mm-hmm. easy money, you know, so to speak." And it's like, "Yeah, but, you know, there you know, rather than like going to US Nationals, Canadian Nationals, I'm very worried about because the previous ones were less than desirable in terms of you know the cir- the circumstances were what they were but you yeah. weren't there man um I, like did you hear about like last year's canadian nationals
1: i heard it was like smaller and run by like a smaller tournament organizer and there was some uh, i can't think of the word but like mismanagement maybe and it was run less than uh efficiently as possible and coming from the us i am definitely spoiled because our event was run by Channel Fireball at the time. You know they had their normal team doing it, and it felt like a pro tour calling, right? It felt like a high level event, really good production value, really good casting value. I think you casted, right? The the calling. I remember you casting Joel in the finals. Um, so, you know, you, you knew what it was like. So, yeah, I'm probably going to be in for a bit of a, a wake up call when we go to Canada Nats. But, you know, I've been playing TCGs a long time. It's probably nothing I haven't seen before, so yeah, what it is
0: like that's that's the thing. It was like it was kind of I think I came from the U.S. Nats in Orlando, you know, like the Orlando Convention Center, like this big deal, uh, you know, Fireballs running it. Everyone's sort of hooting and hollering, and it's a big deal. And then I go to like (laughs) Canadian Nats, and you're at like this gigantic sort of like prison lunch table that like spans (laughs) the whole thing, and our playmats were kind of overlapping one another we were so cramped i had to keep my scorecard and my deck box in my lap Mm -hmm. which was like a little bit weird and anyways this one uh, look i have high hopes um and and aspirations for this to go to go super well i just am a little bit skeptical ultimately though like you mentioned the player base there is going to be over the top like really really good and uh i know that i've i've been not i wouldn't say practicing with you but we've been chatting and 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 Mm -hmm. all this but Do you have a favorite to win that tournament that isn't me?
1: (laughs) Yeah, me. (laughs) Yeah, it's fine. No, no. Uh, There's a lot of good players in Canada, right? Like, if you think about it, nobody knew who Yuki was before Canadian Nationals last year. But was Yuki that much better of a player after she went and won a single tournament? Of course not. She was still Yuki the day before she won Canada Nationals. And there are so many good players, uh, you know, in, in Toronto, not just me or Yuki or Isaac or, you know, Dilks or whoever that most people haven't even heard of. And that's Whatever. what thats all good. I'm not here. No, don't worry about it. <laughs> i mean you got to be my friend to be shouted <laughs> out right so you're right you're going to co- cross that
0: technically then... colleagues through like yeah. various <laughs> like through i think we we can consider ourselves like work 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 related colleagues through like i guess writing for channel fireball maybe that's like our okay <laughs> that's our intersection
1: but my point is, is that you know when when i came back and even i played the anime north of end there was so many good players that You know, I was like, holy cow, like every round is this like slugfest of like thinking and there was no like easy wins. So it's hard to say who the favorite is. I mean, we're all kind of it's a tight group and a lot of us are testing together. Um, I wouldn't be surprised if Yuki won again. I wouldn't be surprised if Isaac won. I wouldn't be surprised if you won. There's so many good players. Anything could happen. But, you know, may the best player win at the end of the day. And I'm just excited to play.
0: I'm gonna throw this out here. Um, you would be surprised if I won, so don't don't, don't bullshit me. It's all good because I would be surprised if I won. Um, I but it, this is this is the the tough part about it is like if I if I were in you know what other uh, some other regions I would feel like I'm I'd feel really good about myself. But like like you mentioned, like just just within like a a, a twenty mile radius, you know, there's so much killer talent around this this area. Uh, and that that's not even to to sort of factor in people like Yuki who are flying in to just absolutely probably lay waste to the entire uh to the entire thing here but um what what kind of concerns me is like the pricing for Canadian nets like i always i've i've done so much to try to hype up canada on the flesh and blood map in terms of it being like uh not just like a hub for flesh and blood but you know, I want it to have a reputation, and for a while it kind of did. And the players and the talent are there, but what really kind of pumps the brakes on that momentum is the fact that the major tournaments that go on are oftentimes met with, uh, you know, I don't say poor reviews, but bad experiences for people, so to speak. Right. Um, what do you What do you think it'll take for, you know, for example, where 2023's uh, schedule comes out, it's like, oh, there's like two or three, like there's two callings in, in, uh, two callings and two battle hardens in Canada. Like there's a oh, Vancouver one, there's a Toronto one, you know, there's mm-hmm. a battle hardened in Montreal and there's a battle hardened in like Winnipeg or something. Like, what'll it take for, for Canada to get that kind of established competitive scene, like those high tier
1: tournaments? Uh, and what word professionalism? So I'm a big believer that. So this is why I'm, I'm a terrible business person and I'll probably never be like exorbitantly rich is because I, I think the product or the service that you provide comes before making a profit. And those two are, are always going to be odd ads at odds with each other, right? A, a tournament organizer that, that runs an event for, you know, minimum cost, maximum value it's by in nature going to be inefficient, you know, understaffed, maybe, you know, whatever the case may be. So, I think any TO could run a good tournament, you know, even if I was asked to run an event as big as a calling, you know, with enough time and preparation, even if I don't know the ins and outs, I could go talk to people that do, I could hire people that, you know, know how to score keep well, how to make a tournament run well, you know, I could invest my resources and time into that. So. I think as long as the tournament organizer, whoever gets the calling or whoever gets these big events in the next couple of years takes it seriously and cares about their reputation and, and growing the game first in Canada, it'll be a well run venue and you don't even need to run it at like a fancy convention center. Like I've been at tons of good events that were run at like just out of hotels. Like one of the best events I ran was back in the day, the TCG player used to have a, like a 5k circuit running around uh Uh, America. And that was run in at the, you know, in a Sheraton hotel or whatever. And it was super well done. It was, it ran on time. You know, the venue was well spaced out. The judges were, were adequate. It was like one of the best things I've ever been to. Um, so as long as the people running it kind of put the appropriate time and effort into it and don't try and like price gouge every little last penny they can, I think it'll be okay.
0: Like that's part of it, absolutely. And what? Look, I'm never gonna, I'm never gonna crap on uh, those who sort of really take the reins to try to make these events big and support the game. I'm all for that, and I appreciate that. Like card chops that come in and say, you know what, we're gonna, we're gonna, we're gonna do this. But sometimes it's just a matter of like, okay. But you have to understand that what you're biting off here is a pretty big morsel for you to chew on. So it's one thing to to you know I don't know how it works necessarily whether you're bidding on on the event or just you know you, you're you're applying for it or it's awarded to you or your approach but when that when you're kind of tapped on the shoulder to say you've got gnats like you've got to you've got to kind of to a degree if you agree to it, and yeah, you want all the prestige and the and that comes with it. You have to be ready to. I don't want to say take a loss here and get kind of shredded by by putting on a big show. But you have to understand that your. I feel like your responsibility is to the is to the production. It's not to the bottom line at that reg- in that regard. Yep. And like last year's Canadian Nats was, you know, was sort of tucked away amidst you know, you had to walk past the. Brett the Hitman Hart autograph table to get into the back room, to get into the sort of like past the coat rack into go where we play cards. And, mm-hmm. you know, uh, if it was that or there was like Dominic Hasek. So I was like, I, at a certain point, I'm like, I want to go and, you know, I, I want the Hitman to like sign a, a sign something for me. I want to go see Dominic Hasek and, and hear him pronounce Marian Like, that's like <laughs> my favorite thing ever. But ultimately, you know, when it comes to these events, do you feel like if you are awarded it, your your responsibility is to putting on the grand spectacle. Like you have to kind of even if you're going into the Reds, like that's kind of what you're you're hitting. Because like the prizing for Canadian Nats is not all that fantastic, and like even like the you know you're getting the gold foils and this and that. But like I think if you if you're like if you finish in like the top eight, like if you finish eighth at at, at nationals, like your prizing is like you get the gold foil sure, but you're getting like two box of everfest or something you know like it's 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 Mm -hmm. great it's like anything helps obviously but this is kind of it's kind of falls behind like i feel like when if you're trying to put canada on the map to be like this you have the player base you have the the talent but Mm -hmm. you're, you're you're like why would you go out there i feel
1: yeah, and I'm speaking from a place of ignorance obviously. Like I don't know how much of the prize support is pulled up by LSS like with the American Nationals was. I'm guessing the 100k or whatever they're putting up all came from LSS. Is all the prize money and stuff coming from LSS for this event too? Do you know that information? I is, I honestly I don't-, don't know. I just know that,
0: you know, like I can I can probably bring up with the prize structure. I'm going to look for the prize structure of uh, you know, what what's awarded, but I don't know if, I don't think it's like, I don't think there's cash associated to it at all.
1: Yeah, and I also know Canada has some like weird laws with like prizing and and big events too. So that definitely plays into it to some degree. Because I remember um, like even in the Yu-Gi-Oh! TCG, I think there was like uh, a Grand Prix equivalent or a calling equivalent this weekend. And uh, one of the ways around running one of those events is that they have to give packs for entry. So you can't just play in this tournament pay like 50 bucks and and play and win X, X amount of dollars. They have to like pay an entry and then they get like five or six packs and that's what the entry actually is so like on paper they're buying packs and then they're also playing in this tournament with now additional prizing so that may play into it too i'm not sure how the gambling laws and so forth work in canada i know a lot of the companies have to like kind of tiptoe around that but i, I agree with you i think at the end of the day if you're running a high level event be it a calling or a nationals as a tournament organizer you need to think about the production value before the bottom line. Like if it was me that got handed the reins to Canada nationals, I would do like a red velvet kind of like rope off for the play area, like adequate space, you know, even if it meant taking, you know, a couple thousand dollar losses just for the brand recognition after I think would be worth it. Right. Especially if I was a store owner, just to know that like, Hey, XYZ store put on this really sick event. And that's all people are going to be talking about for the next two months. You know, that might be worth a thousand dollars, advertising uh, expense right there. And then if I have a store, you know, maybe you have a, a vendor at the venue that's breaking even maybe on some of your losses. So, but like I said, I'm not a store. I'm only speaking from the top of my head, but my experience has been often in card games is that stores will often kill the golden goose to eat it rather than let it lay its golden eggs. And I think that's something that goes deeper than just the, you know, large event scales. And we're talking now like, ProQuest LGSs that charge thirty dollars entries give nothing back but the LSS, you know, free prizes, and then they they get mad at their players for you know complaining about it, which I think is a bit ridiculous. But we could talk about this ad nauseum.
0: Yeah, we could. Like the thing about it is just like uh, okay, so I'm on the site and the prizes are now first place is fifteen hundred dollars cash plus the, okay. the, the plus the gold foil. Like comparing that to what what's what did you win for finishing? T- Uh, I think it was 10,000. It might've been more. I can't remember now. All right. So yeah, 10 grand. Now I I can't confirm this right now. I'd have to dig through screenshots and, and chat logs and whatever, but the prize structure here, I'm almost a hundred percent certain this may have been changed recently, but it used to be 50, like for instance, right now, fifth to eighth place. If you finish in fifth to eighth, it's $500 cash. I'm almost a hundred percent certain it used to be $500 worth of product. Like that uh, was on the page, so yeah. I think that was actually changed recently. I have to confirm that. Um, mm-hmm. But the other thing about this is like, and I'm not here to just harp on this one event, but mm-hmm. I, like this is why I'm a little skeptical of it. For instance, a, like a team a team event for uh, a box like the the 32 team box tournament, like the the team mm-hmm. the team box tournament, is $300 to enter. And there's the prizing for it is just one cold foil to the winning team, and yeah, it might be a valuable cold foil, but who amongst those three are keeping it? So you almost have to sell it, or the other people are paying the person who has it a share of what it's worth to sort of even it out to, or I, you know, or the dude who has it has to pay the others what their share of what it's worth, and I mean, like it just seems
1: like things are a little hold on. Are you saying it's three hundred dollars per team and you only get one box? Correct. Okay, that's a. Uh, that that this, I mean, that's just like that's kind of ludicrous, right? Like well, it's stuff like that that kind of bugs me. It's like what what's happened to the other two hundred dollars, give or take, or how much is a box in Canada? In America, it's like roughly a hundred and ten and change. Is it like one thirty in in Canada? I don't know, but like what's happening to the hundred and seventy dollars per team? Like where is it going if not to the prizes? i don't get it so okay well it says 300 per team players will be able to pre-register
0: for the event each player on that team that pre-registers by september 4th will receive an exclusive custom playmat for the event and a sealed history pack booster box for their team to construct a deck with so is it every is it each player on the team gets a but like does each player get a box like it's kind of a, for 300 dollars, you got to think that you're not every not everybody's getting a box
1: like, yeah if everybody got a box then yeah sure then okay that's worth it because at least you're paying that 100 box which is about what retail is and you get to play an event yes fine like i can at least see that but if it's only one box for three people for 300 that's just uh i well, don't think that's acceptable that's what i would that's what i would have to investigate like if if
0: everybody mm-hmm. gets a box like i don't know how these team box event i thought a team box event was you open one box and you make three decks out of the box that's what I assume too. Yeah. Okay. All right. Either way. Um, it's just it's it's like I just I really hope that for the sake of competitive flesh and blood in Canada, like I've been I've been sort of in James's ear for a year now, asking for <laughs> a calling in uh in mm-hmm in Canada, anywhere. I don't care where, like obviously mm-hmm. Toronto is the attractive place. Cause it's sort of, the, it's the biggest city it has the most mm-hmm. amount of space and venues for this kind of stuff. But Montreal, Calgary, uh, Winnipeg, Vancouver, there's like a thousand places that you can put it where people will go. Mm-hmm. And I, I just, the way that this event was kind of sold and, and sold to me was like, you know, they, they want to put Canada on the map
1: mm-hmm.
0: and I'm like, all right, well the, the players are doing that. Now it's up to you kind of thing. But,
1: Yeah. I mean, this again is stepping into LSS territory and the one time I dared venture into anything that, you know, has has anything to do with uh, the managerial or design of the game. I was like disastrously wrong. So I got burnt once and I'm not touching my hand over there again. So (laughs) I'll leave it up to the big boys. Yeah. Well, again,
0: I I want nothing more for this to go to go well and I will be there and I will support it and I will do what I can. And uh, that's it. And I hopefully I make day two. Cause if I make if I don't make day two I'm don't know what I'll do because I'm not paying three hundred dollars for a box of uh, of history pack that's not happening. Um, <laughs> we'll do it together. <laughs> oh, I, dude! I if you if you if you scrub and I scrub like I was actually talking to I was talking to Dave Rude and I said hey out of curiosity if you scrub out like do you have people for like the team event like all. If if it's people I know and people like I can have fun with, then I, I don't mind putting up the money, even if it's not worth it. Like if just to sort of flesh out a team. And he's like, oh, I already got a team. I'm like, <laughs> I'm like, so you already have a team. So you you're, you trust them enough to be on your team, but you don't trust them enough to make day two. So you've already like kind of. I'm like, I'm a I'm a lock for not day two. <laughs> so like <laughs> I'm I'm already out there. Just, but if you don't make it, uh, dude, it's you and I, and we'll f- we'll find somebody else. So we'll just make it happen. All right uh Talishar Talishar online has has yeah. continued to be a very um spicy topic of debate there's people who are you know if, big kudos like we had them on the show last week and uh, speaking to Nate and Jotric, who are sort of like the the top of the of the heap when it comes to fixing that site and developing it have been doing the you know the lords work in terms of fixing bugs constantly they're on, they on the daily they're improving the site and the results of that have been you know, logging in a month ago and having you know five games going on at once to now sixty plus at any given time during the day with like two or three in queue waiting for for opponents. So, um, what is your involvement with Talishar and how has it influenced your prep and your your you know your productivity when it comes to preparing for tournaments? Uh,
1: so it's helped a ton. I first kind of stumbled into it. Uh, kind of serendipitously a couple weeks before pro tour, Lil, um, my laptop that I took with me around Europe can't run tabletop simulator. And I just happened to come across one of their tweets and I was like, oh, this is a cool site. I wonder if it's like somewhat functional. And I was clicking around and I actually really enjoyed it. It kind of reminds me of like the old version of magic online. I don't know if you have any experience with it, but I've tried it. it. Yeah. So it was like, it was kind of familiar in a lot of ways. And I'm like, okay, this is kind of cool. And it was able to rerun on my browser. So it was, uh, you know, invaluable in terms of my testing process. And uh, it's just kind of exploded in growth over the last couple of weeks since uh, Lil... Uh, I've been tweeting about it. Folks has been tweeting about it. And then other people kind of picked it up and they realized, yeah, this is a really cool thing. And it's it's such an advantage to be able to just play a pickup game at a moment's notice with just another person that's ready to play as well. You don't have to coordinate with people. You don't need a whole like big testing group. So I think it's going to change the way the game is kind of learned and played for the foreseeable p- future. Cause before you have to be Dale and Mack to play 30 games a day. Yes. Now I could play 30 games a day. Or you could play 30 games a day, just lying in bed, right. Or getting a coffee. So it's going to change the way people practice.
0: The convenience of it has been exceptional, I think. And, and even when I was like, I spent four days or three, three or four days in Montreal. And, um, you know, on those times where all my stuff's here back home, but I was in Montreal at my parents' place visiting. And, you know, like I got an hour to kill, it's just bust out, you know, go to my dad's laptop, and it's a tabletop thing. I don't have to install anything. It's like a desktop or a, a browser-based thing, and it's just like, all right, load it up. I have, you know, an hour to kill. Let's play a game and and go. Um, a lot of the, the the concern, however, is regarding what this does to two aspects. Number one is what is this doing to the actual fundamental spirit and, and you know, the core of the game being to be played in person? This has been a debate that... Um, you know, nobody's nobody's arguing that it's it's very easy to to learn. It. The learning curve of of Talishar is not huge, but what it's attacking is the culture and and the right. fundamental spirit of the game. That's one. The second part is what will this do for meta solving data uh, access to this kind of thing? Will will this just you know mm-hmm. kick into hyperdrive how metas are 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 kind of
1: sifted through? So. What are your thoughts in terms of those? Yeah. So, the first part, the spear part, I think is the interesting one and the meaty point. Cause I think even LSS, I can see kind of like internal struggle among them to accept it. Do we reject it? But in a nutshell, I do believe that a rising tide kind of raises all ships. So, there are people that are like, It it hurts the spirit, right? Flesh and blood is meant to be played in the flesh and blood and blah, 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 and so forth. But I am also a big believer in evolve or die, right? And I think at this age and day especially, you need to have some sort of digital client because it's going to happen regardless, right? Like we saw that with Tabletop Simulator. Even when there was nothing else, people still found a way to take this third-party, completely unrelated program, make a mod for it, and now you have this significant gap between players that play TTS on a regular basis and then players that didn't. And we already saw that accelerated growth between like like folks was able to get in so many games. I was supposed to, I got in so many games and the learning curve was just exponential compared to some people that would only play once a week at their LGS. So in some ways fighting a digital kind of you know aspect of the game is 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 inevitable. Like you're not going to win that fight. It's going to exist digitally at some point or another. And I would even make the argument that a digital product is good for the growth of the game like it's going to get more people invested as long as it looks polished it plays well and it's a fun game and they can keep up with their end of it like ls says, all they really need to do all they need to focus on is make a really good game increase product releases slightly make sure the formats are fun and balanced you know and just not get in the way of what the community is doing and i think they have a recipe they have the golden goose i think they they have the secret recipe for just the next game right and we saw this with magic too uh i know they people are like touchy and they don't like to draw parallels here but magic really exploded when arena came out right my my freaking girlfriend amanda who is the most normie of normal people <laughs> she plays magic arena Right, like when I saw her do that, it blew my mind. Right? Yeah, sure, she has like an 83 pile deck with like three colors mixed in and a cat because she thinks it's cute. <laughs> but my point is, is that somebody like her got introduced to a game that she would zero percent have played if it was only Magic Online, or zero percent have played if it was only in paper. And now she's like, hey, you know, there's a Friday night locals. Do you think we could go sometime? Or do you think you could build me a deck in in this format? So. Like I, I understand the the allure of like wanting it to be LGS focused, and there's no reason it can't be medica- like local focused and make all the high level events and make everything very much based in real line, uh, in real life. But online is gonna happen regardless, and I think it can only be positive for the growth of the game in terms of that aspect, in terms of the spirit. The data thing is another topic, but. We'll we'll touch on that in a
0: bit. Yeah, like the 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 issue with this, I find is like you mentioned, uh eventually if there's the whole Darwinian mantra of you know, it's just it's adapt or die. Like that's kind of the way it is. And if you're not keeping up with it, you might fall behind. The question is, is where does flesh and blood Want to be? Uh, I've had this discussion a lot with other games I've been involved with. I know I always fall back on Gwent. It's just the one that I have the most experience with. But they they've never you know the the argument for so many years with that game was like why are you not investing more in marketing? Why are you not trying? You have the 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 game is unique and and interesting enough that you had the opportunity to challenge. The big dogs like uh, you know like Hearthstone and MTGA and such like that, and the what I always fell back on from my discussions with them was that they just didn't care. They didn't want to be the big <laughs> dog. They didn't need to be. Uh, much like you know what, like Hearthstone is a massive, massive money engine for for Blizzard. But if that if they chose it for for it not to be, it wasn't going to kill the company because they had World of Warcraft, they had Starcraft, they had other all these other IPs that they could fall back on and make money with Overwatch, etc. With with Gwent it was the same thing. They make their money off The Witcher and Cyberpunk. They couldn't care less about Gwent. It's sort of a side deal. And I'm wondering if Flesh and Blood has the same um, current mindset where they may be thinking like we're not out here to supplant or replace or even challenge Magic's footprint on the world. We're content being you know having this indie feel. But they're Mm -hmm. but at the same time they're not an indie company anymore. They're not small potatoes. And I feel like you know what you might not go out there and hire this major company to create the the digital platform, polish all the animations and all this stuff you know make it uh, like almost cinematic like runterra might be but you should probably not throw any wrenches in the system for yep. those who are, are making this happen and, and this and this leads to what what the detriment of talishar might be do you see this right now perhaps already having a consequence on flesh and blood's main mission of of playing games like i don't i don't know all the tweets i see are of oh we had like we had like 21 people at a at a random armory tonight like we're growing and meanwhile talishar is also growing it's 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 sort of kept up it seems with with the growth of the game
1: this this is gonna sound harsh, but it, it comes back to your wrench in the gears type analogy. LSS has no control over this. It is not up to them anymore. And I think the worst thing a company could do is get in the way of what their customer, consumer, player base, whatever you want to call us, wants, right? It is very clear that people are enjoying this digital form of flesh and blood. And I think at this point it's I think the worst thing LSS could do right now is to copyright it, send them a cease and desist letter and basically shut down Talishar, right? Cause that serves no purpose. You know, it, it, it'll get back to their mantra of, you know, you play in real life only, but your consumer base has spoken. So it's either, either you, you shoot your consumer base or you just go with it. I don't think, and they're not the ones that are controlling this, right? We, the, the consumer are saying, we enjoy this type of product. Please support it. Please make it better. It's only going to draw more people. And it's up to LSS whether they want to fight the wave, or like swim with the current or or, or be swept away with it. So I, I think this is, like you said, 100% analysis court. And the only decision they have is, do we mess this up for ourselves or do we just let it ride out and kind of evolve and adapt? Because there's ways to just... Embrace the digital side of it, but make it more real-life focus. You don't have to fully embrace the digital. You don't have to run ProQuest. You don't have to run armories on it. But maybe you know a, a couple dollars here and there to people doing good work and polishing it up draws more people. That puts more people in armories. You know, it's it's an, it, a very entangled ecosystem here, and I think one is way more codependent on the other than than people like to give credit for.
0: I I from my perspective here all i've seen are that more people are playing the game because of it um a lot of the the conversations i have with new players like i've streamed this uh, i've streamed myself playing and practicing on talishar and a lot of the conversations I have with people who join the chat are like, oh, okay. Like this seems simple enough. And like, oh, how do you buy packs? I'm like, oh, you don't buy packs, you know, Mm -hmm. but if you want to play in official tournaments, you're going to have to buy packs and you're going to have to go play or whatever. And they're like, oh, well, I'll give it a try. And this and that, like they're watching me play, Um, you know, new players that are interested in the game. A lot of the time is that they're either, they they don't want to join it because they don't want their first experience to be a negative one by going to a, a shop with a deck that they've, you know, piecemealed from a, a blitz deck and, and sort of expanded. It's not a good deck. They, they're intimidated and whatnot. So maybe they want to get a few reps in with just to learn the rules. And, and, you know, and I'm not saying that the community is not helpful. I am so enamored with this game in the community because my first experiences with the game were with people who embraced me, taught me, and were very welcoming in that regard. But I'm with you on this is that you can't I think that you can't stand in the way of your own growth. You can't shoot yourself in the foot like that by stopping what is essentially it's it's free. It's free advertising. It's free growth. Um, And this leads to the discussion of people who might criticize and be against it because of, of data, like this scary mm-hmm. word that everybody kind of suddenly has le- just leaned on as another defender of why flesh and blood is so unique in the way it is now without Talishar is because the data is so scarce because the information of metas and, and card usage and win rates and such is is very dependent on how much players are invested in sleuthing this stuff out by, looking at tournament reports and, you know, Mm -hmm. it's, it's this sort of clandestine espionage network where if, you know, if you know somebody, I I remember I used to get texts and messages from people like, Hey, uh, if you got, you know, glances at some of these deck lists, can you like send me screenshots of them or like take a picture with your phone and send them to me this? And I'm like, well, I can't, but uh, like this is kind of where it's come down to is data from Talishar a, is
1: it reliable and B what is the impact of it? So coming from Magic, I think this debate's been like solved. And it's funny because in the community even, you can see who's played kind of Magic online and who's kind of experienced this kind of discussion before and who hasn't. Because all the people that are pro talishar and data sharing usually don't have a background from you know magic the gathering or have played a lot of magic online and everybody in favor of like yeah we should probably not be sharing these results with everybody you know data collection is good but who sees it is, is another debate that we should be having usually has this the same background as me uh for, for those of you that don't know that might be listening is that there's uh, a game called magic the gathering which i'm sure you've heard of and there's a digital client of that game called magic the gathering online and several years ago now i don't Remember the exact time frame, but what was happening was and magic, keep in mind, Magic releases sets uh much faster than than Flesh and Blood currently does. It was like on a time schedule of one set every two to three months or so. And in that time period, uh formats were being solved in a matter of Two weeks, okay, and that's because what they would do is they they have these online four round, four to eight round tournaments, depending on if it was a weekday or weekend. And the top eight decks would be published in, in their entirety. Every deck that five owed would be top posted, and the minute that happened, optimization would 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 just be so rapid, right? People are like, okay, this is what's winning. How do we make it slightly better? How do we make that slightly better? And boom, you have a solved format. And Wizards of the Coast actually had to go and say, okay, we're not doing this anymore. We are not posting deck lists. We are just going to take one deck list of of every archetype that does well, and we're just going to give you Hey, these are the things that have done well, not every decklist. So the data we have right now coming from Magic Online is very incomplete, and it's hard to parse any actuality from it. And it's kind of driven it back to, okay, you have to test and kind of figure out for yourself what's good and what's not. And the biggest worry that a lot of us players coming from that game are having is that while Talishar is good and fun and for the spirit and for the growth of the game, it, it, it can make the gameplay a bit monotonous itself, right? If everybody has access to what the best decks are and the sample size is large enough, like the discussion's done. Why would I ever test? If I just know Briar's winning 68% of the time and uh, is winning, you know, 51% of the time against an open open field, you know, why would I ever consider viscerai? You know, so... That part of the data collection, yes, I am 100% convinced, and I would have to hear an amazing argument for that information to ever be public. Now, where that information is useful is that it can be sent to LSS, and they can get stuff like, how many turns does every game last? What's the average damage output for each hero? Da-da-da-da-da, da 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 and that information used internally can have great value, right? Like we're talking abilities tweak certain cards because we know, you know, avoid pitfalls because we now have information that we didn't have before. So I think that data is invaluable to LSS, but should not be in the hands of players. If if a company like, let's say Wizards
0: is suppressing some of the information because metas get solved so quickly, isn't that kind of like an artificial you know, open meta to a degree like if you're if you're actively hiding information from people just to preserve a little bit more mystery within a meta doesn't that feel like you're cheating to a degree like you're kind of you're handcuffing players it's like kind of tying somebody's hand behind their back to make the fight more fair in, in regards like why can't you just let the 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 the, the information you know, sizzle to the point where people can get access to, to it and make their own decisions?
1: Well, I think the point they were making isn't to handcuff people, but just to slow, because they would eventually get to that point eventually. I think they just didn't like how fast it was getting there, right? I think they they always kind of knew that towards the end of every format since the beginning of time, you know, It gets figured out like the the week before the next release is always the worst time to play any game right think Mm -hmm. about the classic instructive format before everfest came out or before uprising came out nobody wanted to play that because we always, always knew what the best heroes were we all knew what all the matchup spreads were it was kind of like okay whatever like we'll play it again i think the biggest concern isn't that you know we're handicapping certain players it's just We want that feeling to be as minimal time as possible. And by releasing that data, we're just making that period of, oh, this boring format all over again, that much longer.
0: So when it comes to information and data and such, like, uh, you know, a lot of it is just whatever's being played on Talishar. And Mm -hmm. um, I I made this example, I think, the the other week, last week with, with the Talishar developers. I said, well, you know, like you might have like 10 games with Azalea and oh she's got like a 60, you know, 68% win rate or whatever how how reliable is that how much of that is just somebody on on Azalea playing their buddy and uh, you know or finding the right matchups and yeah the sample size is small but at the same time like how many people are on Tali'shar playing decks that are actual reflections of a true a true meta. And in which case at that, in that point, like how much is that statement I just made like complete garbage because of the fact that I'm saying, well, it's not a real meta, it's just what everybody's playing. Like, it seems like it's a contradictory statement.
1: So now we're, now we're going into my favorite topic, which is statistical analysis. And I love <laughs> talking stats because there, there's a concept in stats where it's, it's something called regression to the mean. And you know, in, in any given sample set, you have like the power of the data, which is directly proportional to how many data sets you have in it. But the long and short of it is, is that even if there's that guy playing, you know, his buddy Briar versus, you know, Oldham, and he doesn't know what he's doing, blah 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 blah. If you get a thousand people playing Briar versus Oldham. It will eventually kind of resemble a normal distribution, and those outliers will tend to cancel each, each other out, right? For everybody who's playing Briar versus Oldham with a really wacky build, there's going to be a, a Matthew Folks playing his belittle Briar and skewing the data the complete opposite direction, and then it kind of normalizes in the middle. So when the sample sizes are extremely small, like they are now, where the pay... Oh, it's a patient population. When the when the player population is is not as big as it should be, yes, the data is unreliable. But for the heroes that are being played a lot, like Briar, Oldham, Dromai, whatever, you can say that that data is pretty reliable because there's enough sample size that that kind of noise or the you know the variance at either end of the bell curve kind of get canceled out and it probably normalizes somewhere towards the truth.
0: There's a worry in certain cases for the professional players and those who have these spicy brews. You know, Matt Folks went on record after he won Pro Tour two that Talishar was a big part of his prep and such like that. At what point do you perhaps worry? Because I know that the secrecy, for example, of certain decks, dude. Like people I thought were my friends are just like I can't tell you anything. <laughs> like I'm just like, and I respect that. Thought we were. I thought we were buddies. But I respect that. But when it comes to major tournaments and major information, a lot of it is the secrecy of certain decks that you're bringing. And I feel like, no, like for somebody like Matt Folks who had this Briar list, you know, you bring Briar and you're no, you're nobody is surprised. But you bust out something like um, uh, Promise of Plenty and like you're creepering in all this weird stuff, and like the deck itself is is running Yellow Snatches and like that to me feels like it's a very secretive kind of thing that that caught people off guard part of it is a surprise factor are, are players like matt folks and like yourself you mentioned you, you practice are you bringing the actual bruise to just sort of unleash on random people are you hiding your name like what's the protection of that of that intellectual property that's sort of holding
1: holding court in your mind so, so a couple things. So first, I want to just state for the record that when when Matt saying there was somebody that wouldn't give him a deck list, that was not me. I gave <laughs> Matt. You like, did. I gave him my deck list. Yes. Like this, two deck lists that I'm considering. I will.
0: I will not only throw this person under the bus. I will <laughs> then get in the bus and drive over them. This is Brian Basoko. Uh, I asked for some. Uh, I asked for some advice regarding, and he, he flat out just completely uh, Dikembe Mutombo stuffed me and finger wagged me and said, no, 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 no. So, uh, you are now in, uh, on my shit list, Brian Pasoko. <laughs> I'm kidding. Again, I completely understand he's part of a team and he was sworn to secrecy on certain aspects. Uh, and I respect that. And, uh, but ultimately, yes, it, uh, screw
1: you, Brian. <laughs> so this is a really interesting topic and something I've kind of been talking to now we're talking matt rogers there's too many mats in my life matt Dukes, matt folks matt rogers matt flake <laughs> <laughs> <That's okay. laughs> so, there's there's too many mats in my life so um because matt is the very you know keep everything inside don't test with other people and i respect that especially with you know if it's not my idea it's not mine to share and a lot of my pro testing was against myself Um, like I would literally have two decks in real life and I play against myself and you know, that, that philosophy is a very old school TCG card player mentality. Um, as somebody who was kind of raised on more of a digital platform, to me, the larger amount of games and overall practice far outweighs any kind of secret tech because it gets to a point where there's enough games being played that you no longer, have, like, really, really surprise decks coming out because there's so many games being played that if there was something like that happening and there's enough people now trying to break the edges on the extreme, on the extreme fatigue part, on the extreme aggro part, on the extreme board presence part, in, in, as far as uh, Droma is concerned, that and there's enough games being played that if those things existed they would just be known things at the time. And I think the best edge you could give yourself is to just play the most amount of games as possible. So if it was just up to me, I don't care. Like, people can play against me all they want. The information I'm learning are because of the questions I have, because of certain things I'm trying to figure out about certain matchups, right? It's not necessarily about one card choice. It's about how AD cards interact with each other versus the entire metagame. So completely different way of thinking than oh you know i'm playing uh i don't know freaking cranial crush yellow in my in my ultimate list or so, something like that
0: yeah, well you want a cranial crush
1: yellow cranial crush yellow <laughs> to, to each their own but
0: yeah screw you brian basoko
1: <laughs> I, I think uh I don't, i'm not sure if you know who pvddr is is a, like a legendary it's uh, a dancing match- arcade game right no he's he's like probably the greatest magic player of all time but he came out with an article a couple years ago about this very topic about you know back in the day pro teams used to come up with the best deck and try and keep it super secret and and just try and get a deck edge in the metagame where he kind of openly admitted you know this is a kind of antiquated process now where the bigger edge and what they should be doing is testing with as many people as possible to make sure that their ideas and plans are solid and then just kind of, you know, working together in like the limited capacity or so forth. Cause it's, it's so easy to think you know something, convince yourself that you know it, you're 100% you know it, you test it, yes, I know this to be true, and then you've overlooked this tiny, tiny detail, and bam, your best laid plans go to waste. So. You're notorious
0: for just being very open with your deck lists and such it's like this is what i'm playing at this tournament this is what i'm bringing like no secrets no surprises i mean you throw in like a knickknack brick a brack kind of garbage in there just to you know nancy pelosi the market you psycho but ultimately ultimately, uh when it comes to this kind of transparency is this merely a move on your turn like for instance the like the the briar list got out maybe a little bit earlier than you may have liked or whatnot, but you still won the the U.S. Nationals. And once that's under your belt, do you feel like when it comes to things like callings and, and battle hardens and whatever, that you're just like, Hey, I already have like a trophy. Like I can just throw this out. Is it a confidence move or is it just legitimately a situation where you truly believe that if somebody knows my deck list a week before, or they don't know it at all, I am, I am equally as, as favored or unfavored in a matchup that it's not going to influence the
1: outcome. Yeah. So I'm kind of in a hard place more because of my testing situation. I would say, you know, if it's a calling a pro quest or nationals, like I don't care. I'll post it like that. Draw my deck that I posted uh, for Canadian nationals was what my Joe, my deck was five, six days ago. Now it's changed slightly and people like to give me shit being like, oh, you've changed like five or six cards. But that happens, right? There's a lag time between when it's written, when it's published, and then when the actual event is. And it's not a real-time update, but I try and give my information, you know, when I can to whoever wants to listen to me. And I, I'm a belief that, like, it's not going to affect my tournament too significantly. You know, I might give some people some good ideas, but at the end of the day, my job, at least the way I see it, is... I'm trying to also grow the game to some capacity. Now, where this is at odds is that when I have information, that's not mine to give, right? Like, for example, I had access to the preliminary Matthew Folks deck, um, like back when it was playing Explosive growths uh, instead of Yellow Snatch, um, that whole Belittle Briar list, right? And now that's not my deck to share. Right. So I could have gone and and said, you know, okay, Matt, you know, screw this. Like, here's here's this really cool concept. Uh, You know, um, you guys have fun with it. Maybe somebody will figure it out. You know, I didn't end up figuring it out. You know, Yellow Snatch ended up being the key that I was missing. And me and Matt kind of branched off after that. But we still talked a bit. And, you know, I knew what he was doing um, you know, a couple weeks before the pro tour, or even when, when Matt Rogers sends me an idea, I'd like, Hey, you know, we're looking at this dash list for, for pro tour. It's not my information to share. So for, for people have to understand that while I'm open in my testing process and like what I like to play and where my ideas are at, not all the information I'm privy to is right to be shared, right? It's, there's still a, an objective morale, right or wrong that i have to abide by so it's kind of a rock and a hard place in some capacity and i try and be as open as i can you know where i can be so like for everybody listening right now the two decks i am testing for nationals are dromai and oldham and i just wrote a dromai article and flight can attest that i have shown in my oldham list so there you have it. <laughs> yeah, I'm going to be giving that out to only our patrons. So sign up to our
0: Patreon, friends, and you'll get access to all of my insider information. But no, in reality, like you mentioned, you're right. Like, um, and this is something that is is so important that trust among amongst people is is very, you know, it's it's very it could be fragile at times. Like, but it's it's again, everybody's sharing information, and I don't think that something like Talishar is really going to. Change how things are are going to be, um, how things are going to uh, affect, or how how sorry how decks are going to evolve and whatnot. It might you know it might shift gears from like third gear to fourth gear, perhaps in terms of of people testing and and solidifying things, but ultimately. Talistar has never been stronger than this past month since Pro Tour. We just had a set of nationals. We have like a Reinar winning. We have a couple Oldems. We have Briars. We have a Dorinthia that won. Mm -hmm. Uh, And not only that, it's not that those are the only heroes that are available. The actual spread of what the meta is looking like is is quite diverse. Um, You know, Fies are still floating around. If Dromai rolls in, I I think that there's, there's enough room for a natural kind of slow progression like you mentioned of just going to armories and going to uh callings battle hardens whatever there's still like three or four battle hardens before world championships there's still a bunch of callings that are going alongside some of these other tournaments there's still a lot to be done but one thing that i've really noticed is that that triangle of doom starvo meta you know uh, is long gone and the the prism hitting live in legend has also opened things up but even at pro tour lil i thought that it was pretty interesting how how much diversity there was and i think that i i truly believe that talashar is something that should stick around and that there should be some sort of coexistence or at least you know you might not need to collaborate but you should at least respect each other's space
1: mm-hmm. yep i completely agree with that
0: ah oh, man all right, question for you, Tarek Patel, if that's your real name. Um, we're wrapping this up. I do appreciate you, as always, jumping in and uh, and just chatting. And this one had no script. This was just all off the cuff, and that's where we're at. I think we're, you know, are we are work colleagues. I'm hoping that one day, maybe, like at a Christmas party, we can have a drink sometime and talk. But ultimately, it's fine. Um, here's a question for you. You got a, you got a, a, a tw- you just rolled a twenty foot putt. All right. You just rolled a 20 foot putt to just to hit scratch for the entire round. How do you celebrate? And it's for birdie. So, like, you, you, you need, if you roll this, it's you, you break, you break even par for the round. Have you ever broken even par for a round?
1: Never. All right. So,
0: this is a big deal for you. All right. (laughs) It's the 18th. Everybody, all the old people are at the patio having their Arnold Palmers watching you. It's like three in the afternoon. Right. You roll this putt. It just, lips in you're good how do you celebrate
1: i go to the range and try to figure out why my 150 club was 20 feet away instead of 10 feet away <laughs> <laughs> you can never just be happy can you tar you just can't you just can't be happy can you it's that carrot in front of you i don't know why and this goes back to like the philosophy of like why humans are humans but The moment I think you become satisfied and monotonous in your day-to-day routine is the minute you start that depression and anxiety and whatever starts creeping in. I always think Once you hit a goal, you need to set a next one to, to just get better. And it doesn't even have to be attainable. It just has to be something that you enjoy working towards. So yeah, my first thing I would do if I broke even par would be to set another goal to get five under par or something ridiculous like that. Would I have a beer or be happy or reflect on the moment? Sure. Would I go out and gamble a million dollars at, you know, Vegas and do a line of Coke and hookers? No, like that's not who I am either. So the reality is somewhere in the middle. I'd probably reflect on it, save the scorecard, I might frame it, but uh, I'd be out there trying to get 65 the next week.
0: Oh, you're an animal, dude. <laughs> I remember <laughs> I I rolled this ridiculous putt on 18 to uh to save par for the hole. Not even yeah. like it, I was it was still a terrible, but people were watching and I rolled this ridiculous putt and it sank it, it hit like it's dead center and people were like yay like mildly and i totally oversold it to the point where i took the ball out i threw it into the crowd and then i signed my glove and gave it to somebody while i was walking away and they were like what the hell is this i'm like shut up just let me live this let me live this dream <laughs> it was like the most ridiculous thing but i'm like screw it this is like my only time that people will ever cheer
1: cheer me at golf and i'm and i'm all for it um okay let me reverse this question to you yeah. okay Let's say, for example, you have to cast uh, the calling of or the Nationals of UK from your room and that day uh, your computer breaks for whatever reason and you can't do it and LSS, you know, fires you. Let's just say that happens. <laughs> what do you do when you hit your lowest of lows in those situations? What would you do? What would I do? If so, if and like
0: I they fire me and I'm never going to do another flushing Yeah, button. they
1: say flake you're fired never again no more flesh and blood
0: i've honestly i've i've dealt with this kind of stuff not like to the point where like it was like a a being fired um for you know you know being a a bad broadcaster because let's be honest Tarek. i mean let's be real (laughs) um but i have been in situations where like work was few and far between where i actually started to have to look for work like i waited tables you know when i just started this journey after about like six months where work was sort of dried up i was waiting tables and bartending like three days a week just to to help help out uh i also at some of my more worried parts started applying for radio jobs like all across ontario and all across canada actually i'm like i'll move like it, i'll do the you know 6 a.m cow report farm farm farmersonly.com report or whatever if necessary and uh it, it's pretty depressing when you say, hey, I've like I've done all this stuff, and you're like, that's
1: not real experience. <laughs> just get the hell out of here. But the important thing is you got up and you and you did something. And oh, you, yes. And you made a change. So and to the viewers out there, I'm not trying to be a Debbie Downer and trying to like depress this whole conversation, but my point is, is that when you when you have your lows, you try not to get too low. You try and get back and get going. And just like when you have your high highs, you try not to get super high and manic about it, and you just kind of try and go on living. So that that's all i was trying to illustrate i didn't mean to bring the conversation down and hash up some painful memories for you that's what i did no i mean the
0: the painful memories were more so literally like every every outlet that i i applied to that got back to me and i'm like here's everything i've done here's like a demo reel here's all kinds of stuff and they're like "Mm, that's not real experience sorry and i'm like what Mm -hmm. like it's broadcasting you clowns i mean the (laughs) other option the other honestly i was debating between like Get back up, dust myself off, and and get to it. It was either that or like pint of Häagen-Dazs cookies and cream ice cream <laughs> and like Sopranos reruns. But you know, I can't do. I'll eventually run out of ice cream. You got to get off your ass. You're totally right. All right. On record, it's a win and in for me. Are you scooping? Is it at my expense? Uh. Okay. You're already in. Let's say. Yeah okay are you scooping me in yeah okay now here's another thing it's a win and in for me you scoop to me there's like a there's like a 15 to 25 percent chance you don't make it do you no. s- do you scoop no
1: no can't do that <laughs> no five <laughs> percent no <laughs> Okay. This would be a hundred or zero. Hey, be be thankful I said yes. If you asked Dilks this question, he'd just say no. Even if he was already locked, he'd make you play it out. So <laughs> for sure he would. I, no, I know
0: Dil- Dilks is like this, like cyborg of of stoicism. <laughs> like, like he's just like he he's got like killbot engaged, but he's just very calm and quiet about it. <laughs> <laughs> Which is, like, sometimes I'm, like, every time I talk to Dilks, like, I saw him at the airport in France. It was, like, him and Joel, and we walked by, and I was, like, hey, how's it going, like, talking, whatever. And I'm, like, every time I see Dilks, I always think that he, like, I'm, it, it feels like I'm asking him for change. Like, he's never seen me in my life. I'm, like, hey, how's it going? And he looks up at me, is like, <laughs> no. I mean, yeah, yeah. I'm, like.
1: His, his expression is, why the fuck are you talking to me? Basically, like- <laughs> that.
0: It, it's it's legitimately like i just asked him for directions and he has no clue where he is it's like i'm yeah i'm like all right all right have a good flight buddy like it's all good i'll see you i'll I'll introduce myself again for the 50th time next time as well
1: i I love him to death the funniest interaction was watching him and nick uh in person get along they are the best mates now in the entire world and i have not strung together how that happened but they are like Butcher? Peanut butter and jelly. Yeah. Him what an Duke odd couple. Peanut butter and jelly. It is the funniest thing. And like Nick has, you know, his tendencies. and Dukes has his. And I'm like, this is going to be really interesting. I don't know if this is going to play out because they were either going to absolutely hate each other or fall in love. And now they're they're pretty much getting married. So this I'm is the wedding. Oh, my God. That's like sitcom <laughs> territory for sure.
0: That's like like Jerry and Newman becoming best friends. Like it just seems so odd. Like I I could just honestly see like the way that that went down was Nick Butcher being something like saying something along the lines of like, you know what's really stupid. All these idiots here playing games, thinking they could beat me. Fucking Cunt. lose. It. Yeah, I was that was gonna say it, but I didn't. I was gonna say it, but I, I didn't. And then and like and then there's that pause of like, okay, this can go either way. What is Dilks gonna say? He's like, Yeah, I think yeah. you're right. That's pretty stupid. <laughs> yeah. And then it's like boom, and then it's just then they're lunch. They're having lunch, and it's oh. I would follow so, that around. Get Fabled Academy to
1: follow those clowns around. I told you Nick already shouted out the queen. The, what I left out was the other person he shouted out was Duke. So <laughs> <laughs> It was the queen and Dox. This is two people he shouted out. The so, queen and the king. Makes sense. Yeah.
0: <laughs> there you go. <laughs> oh, man. Tark, I do appreciate you, buddy. Um, I will see you in a few days. I'm sure we'll chat before then and, and all that stuff. But uh, always a pleasure, man. Thank you so much for coming on the show. Yeah, of course. Always
1: happy to be here. Thanks for having me.
0: No worries. Um, we do this all the time. For those who don't know you know where to get your content, uh, you just put out another article, Channel Fireball. I think you've
1: written for FabTCG as well, .com. Mm-hmm. So where, where's all your stuff? Yeah, ChannelFireball.com. I try and re- write an article about once every two weeks, give or take. And then you can follow me on Twitter at tarkpatel 10 I do have a deck tech for my Dash video that's coming out on LSS, Uh, the next couple days deck techs are really really hard to do in real life and i apologize that the quality is kind of low but uh, i've updated my dash deck as well and it was one of the four decks i was considering as of last week right now i've narrowed it down to two. but if you're a fan of dash and you want to know how to adapt it in the metagame stay tuned at lss
0: there he is. The prodigal son returns. He's going to go claim his uh, Canadian title alongside his US title, and just make them make them kiss. That's what's <laughs> going to happen there. All right, brother man. Thank you so much for being on the show. And Thank you all for listening into our patrons. You guys rock. Thank you very much to our sponsors, kfabe Cards and BCW Supplies. You guys are awesome as well. Thank you so much for listening to the Instant Speed Podcast. You're not losing if you're learning. We'll catch you next week. Bye. Well, I